Hi friends, this is a slightly different episode than what you've heard here before. I was interviewed a couple weeks ago by Austin Slater for the Amplify podcast, and there are actually links to that podcast and to the church that hosts it in the notes of this episode. Really, it was one adult MK talking with another adult MK, and I wanted to share it with you because it provides a helpful and conversational overview of MKs, as well as addressing how to welcome them back to their passport cultures if and when that transition happens. Plus, I got to tell a couple of my favorite MK stories. This is obviously incomplete. We tackled a lot of big topics and we only had 43 minutes to chat about them. But if there are people in your life who don't get the need for understanding MKs better or why it's so complicated, this might be a great primer for them. As always, please share this episode and the rest of Pondering Purple with the people in your lives who might benefit from it. With that said, here's my conversation with Austin Slater for the Amplify podcast. Today I spoke with my guest Michelle Phoenix about missionary kids and third culture kids. We talk about growing up overseas, how cheating in school was almost respected by some of her teachers, and how the children of people in professional ministry often struggle with faith themselves. This is Amplify. Hello and welcome to Amplify, the show where we listen to stories and engage in discussion with Christians from all walks of life all around the world. I'm your host, Austin Slater, and joining me today is Michelle Phoenix. Michelle is a prolific speaker. She is an author and a huge advocate for MKs and TCKs around the world in North America. Michelle, thanks so much for joining today. It's as always such an honor. Thank you. I love being here. Thanks for the invitation. Of course. So you and I are both really familiar with the term, you know, MK and TCK. Uh, But for people listening who may not have ever heard these acronyms before, you know, what do they stand for? What do they mean? Is there any difference between the two? Yeah, I'll start with TCK, third culture kid. This is anybody who has spent a significant number of their formative years in a culture other than their passport culture. So under that umbrella, you'll have military's kids and diplomats kids and uh, business kids and missionaries kids, MKs. So most MKs, not all of them fit the TCK profile in that we have grown up in a culture that is not our parents' passport culture or the passport that we have because our parents are from that culture. Right. And so you say we, so how do you fit then in these yeah. labels? <laughs> I, I am 100%, 150% both. Um, my dad was Canadian. My mom is American. I grew up, I was born actually, and grew up in France. So that's when we t- use the term three, third culture kid, we're not referring to having three cultures. We're talking to having at least two cultures, the passport culture and at least one adoptive culture and blending them into a mix of cultures that is our unique third culture. So all third culture kids are not carbon copies of each other. Um, They are um, formed by the various experiences they've had, the cultures that have informed them, all of that makes us who we uniquely are. Um, So yes, I'm a third culture kid because of my French, Canadian, and American cultures. And I'm an MK because my parents served in ministry for nearly 40 years in France. Obviously, like spending all of this time in these other cultures that creates, like you said, a super unique identity. What are some of the consistent hallmarks that we can find with TCKs? 
Yeah, it's it's a mixed bag. And I think because of the work I do, I, I want to look at the harder aspects of the MK experience because historically we haven't been very good at exploring those and even shedding light on them to begin with. But there are huge benefits as well that can't go um, unnoticed and unnamed. Benefits like being adaptable and speaking multiple languages, knowing viscerally what other places of the world are like, um, being able to bridge gaps, bridge, build, um, build, uh, try that again, take two, <laughs> being able to build bridges between groups that are not alike, whether it be on the world stage, like in the UN or in diplomacy, or whether it be in our neighborhoods where you might have a group of individuals from one culture and a group from another who really aren't managing to connect. We can be bridge builders because of everything I've stated before, because of our kind of instinctive understanding of differences and what makes people tick in different ways, and then being able to translate that for people who don't have those instincts. Right. MKs and TCKs tend to have a really unique understanding of relationships and intercultural as well. But what what makes TCK relationships, you know, really strong? But also, I know that obviously there's a lot of challenges with that. So what's what kind of goes into that? Yeah. What makes them strong is actually related to grief. Um, the average TCK, so this is the broader category, military, all of those, diplomat kids, um, the, the, average TCK go, the average TCK goes through eight major moves by the age of 18. Now, from a monocultural perspective, somebody who has just lived in the States or just lived in Canada or just lived, and I say just not to minimize it, but to, to indicate the number of places one has lived, um, moving from one place to the next can be summarized as changing schools and losing a house and maybe the friends or the soccer team or whatever it might be. For the TCK, these are major moves we're talking about. These are moves across cultural borders, across um, linguistic borders borders sometimes. And the number of smaller things in each one of those moves that add up to the enormous grief that we carry within us cannot be overstated. When I speak to adult MKs especially and try to find a word that represents the losses that we've experienced, because bear in mind that we live in a very mobile world, the world of ministry. People are constantly coming and going. People who are supposed to stay for two years end up leaving after six months sometimes. If we've been to MK schools, we've experienced the same things. The number of goodbyes we say in our lifetime, even in our early lifetime, up to the age of 18, is just unparalleled in other people groups. So that accumulation of grief of having said all these goodbyes ends up motivating the way that we enter into relationships. I was in Nepal a few years ago and um, with third grade kids talking about good ways to say hello and good ways to say goodbye. And I asked this little boy got, called Ryan, how do you say hello to new people when you you walk into a room and there are new friends there. And he said, he has a British accent, but I can't do it. He said, um, I put out my hand and I shake their hand and I say, hi, my name is Ryan and I'm going to be gone soon. That is the way this little boy enters into relationship because he has experienced so many losses and goodbyes and he assumes that they're going to happen again and probably unexpectedly and very, very soon. So because of that, the average MK, I'm speaking in generalities here, the average MK will enter really quickly and really intensely into relationships initially because we feel like there's this ticking clock in our minds and we've got to cram as much friendship as we can into the week 
weeks or months or few years that we might have together. So this is something that among ourselves we're used to when we meet other MKs, whether it be at conferences or, or just in, in social gatherings, we go deep really fast. We're not afraid of going deep and revealing our inner selves to other people because this is the only time we might have to do this, right? In a monocultural setting. So I work a lot with college-aged MKs who go to a monocultural college when they return from the field and they engage new people the way they're used to engaging them. So they'll meet somebody and figure out, oh, this might be a person who's my type of person. And within the first couple of conversations, they have said everything important about themselves, where their faith is, what their health is like, what their parents' marriage is like. I mean, they have they have <laughs> laid it out all on the line because that's the way we do things because we don't want to waste a moment mm -hmm. to the monocultural person who is used to gradually at a steady pace, deepening <laughs> an understanding of another person. We come out as freakish we come across as freakish because they're just they just don't know why we're so intense and it actually has caused problems especially with males male mks who do this with girls assuming that if you're being verbally intimate with me like verbally revealing your intimate self to me then that must mean that we're in some kind of romantic relationship and we don't realize that what is normal to us is actually less normal in monocultural settings mm -hmm. I can't begin to count the amount of times I personally have gotten in trouble for that very reason, being yes. an MK. And especially when I was first coming to college, I definitely gave off a different vibe than I was trying to, that's for sure. Yeah, unintentionally, right? Mm -hmm. and, and part of the reason that I do what I do is that so is so that MKs have this information going into new places so we can avoid some of the pitfalls that people like you and me two generations past you um, have been involved in really unwittingly just because we didn't have the information up front. Right, well, and that's, <laughs> I know I for one have benefited from that. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Good, success. <laughs> so these, one of the one of the keystones of the TCK experience and especially the college TCK experience, which you say you kind of specialize in is that whole transition into the monocultural experience. Wow. Um, what is, I, know, I mean, obviously there's, you know, entire conferences dedicated to this topic, but like in a nutshell, you know, what is transition? What does that process kind of look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, it's different than um, an American moving from their hometown in Michigan to college in South Carolina, um, because for one, it's one other major loss for a lot of MKs who come back for college specifically, leaving their field, their other homes. Um, this is the major transition to possibly a life continuing in their passport culture. So they are in a period of grief and loss at that point that only makes it more difficult to transition well. So the transition is losing one world and entering another. I started saying earlier and didn't finish the thought, the word that adult MKs use for um, the losses inherent to transition is universe. They feel like they have lost a universe with all of the subtle and obvious parts of it. Um, and this is what happens before, especially this big transition to college, they have lost that universe. Because of that, they enter into their new culture already kind of, um, uh, weakened because they're sad, because they're grieving, they might not realize they are. Um, and then they're landing in this place that is supposed to be home to them. They have the passport that proves that this is their home country. And in so many ways, this is a place that does not feel comfortable or familiar, especially to those who have been overseas for the entirety of their growing up years. For MKs who went over maybe in their teens, they still have an attachment to this country. For others who just came back on furlough or home ministry assignment, 
this is kind of the place of Disney, Disneyland and the place of church visitations, <laughs> um, but we don't quite know how to do normal life here. And because we're chameleons, this is one of our great strengths. We can make believe that we're doing fine, that we're getting it. We're gonna do a lot of observing, standing back and watching how things happen, what, what the way, uh, Amer watching the way Americans do things so that we can kind of step into that and do it right. So a lot of people won't realize that we're actually kind of flailing because we don't know how this country works, that we're so good, we're so even ahead of times in a lot of ways. We, we can travel easily, we have this great cultural IQ, um, we can pick up languages, a lot of us, really quickly. All of that is great, but we might not know how to drive at age 21. We might not know how to use an ATM. We certainly don't know how to order at a Subway restaurant, which is <laughs> really anxiety-inducing for a lot of these MKs. Mm -hmm. So when people watch MK specifically in that age group coming back to this country and behaving as if this is totally normal for them and they've got it all under control, um, if they have a relationship with them, not a stranger coming up to them, but if you have relationship, even um, family ties with them, it might be useful to say, hey, what's been challenging for you in this phase? And is there any way I can help you? Can I take you out for driving lessons? Can I inform you that when you get pulled over by police, you don't offer them a tour? 20 in this country oh, that will get you arrested. It's right. normal in other places, right? Can I teach you how, can we go online and see how to order at Subway, see what all your options are so mm -hmm. you know before you get there. We are so afraid of making a cultural faux pas. We so highly regard people who are culturally savvy that we're so afraid of making cultural mistakes that a lot of times we're gonna keep faking it until somebody who knows us and loves us that we trust can step into our transition and help us with those practical things. What does a doctor's appointment look like here versus what it looks like even in France, which is a very developed country. Mm. But man, it was a shocking thing to go to a doctor here and realize the differences in medical care. So those are the kind of things in transition that become difficult. And then there's the issue of putting down roots. Do we really wanna put down roots in this culture? And HMK will bring a different um, attitude um, and therefore willingness to that part. Mm -hmm. And a different, you know, just in general, I know when I went to college, I'm like, I want to put down roots for four years and then I'll be ready to move. Yeah. But then there's other people who are like, I'm going to put down roots in my college town and I'm never going to leave it because I'm scared of this transition. Yeah. MKs generally fit into two categories when it comes to um, flitting from place to place. A majority of them, this is anecdotal, this is not real scientific research, but I would say maybe 80 or 90% of them have overdeveloped wings. So they want to keep flitting from place to place. And if they're stuck in one location or even in one relationship for too long, that can become challenging. So this is something that they need to process. The other 10 or so percent have overdeveloped roots. And actually I'm that. So you and I are the two opposites on this. Um, when I put down roots, I don't want to move because there's been so much movement. And because I like stability, I'm the one who's really going to grip the soil really hard and not get ripped up again, even if it's an uncomfortable place for me. And this mm. is where there's a little bit of, of danger too. putting down roots in a place that you don't want to be just for the sake of not having to move and lose again. Yeah. Yeah. It's an adventure. You mentioned actually the, the whole concept of law enforcement and how that can be a challenge for TCKs. Um, I was wondering if you could just, you know, speak to some of the stories you may have heard or seen regarding that, because that's something that is such a foundational difference in my experience yeah. um, that yeah. people just don't assume. Right. Growing up in France, where we do have law enforcement, um, 
there was kind of this notion that the people who found the loopholes and got to skirt the rules were really the higher individuals in, in society. So rules in France are very much something that is meant to be skirted. If you can find your way around it, go at it. It's not wrong. You kind of admire the person. So even in, in school, in grade school growing up, cheating in class was not necessarily forbidden and looked down on. And I have I have the sense that the teachers kind of respected the kids who got away with cheating and didn't get hmm. caught because they were the higher processors of the group. So you have MKs. I, I taught at a school called Black Forest Academy in Germany for 20 years um, after I graduated college. And I had MKs coming from some of these countries where cheating isn't a moral thing, it's actually a skill set, um, who came to this Christian American-based school in Germany for missionaries' kids and, and hadn't realized that this was a cultural difference. I was in Romania a few years ago and one of my hosts was driving me to the church where I was gonna be speaking and we got pulled over for a paper check by the police. Um, and he pulled over and immediately got out of the car, which again, don't ever do that in the States, got out <laughs> of the car with his wallet in his hand and started leafing through the money that he had in there, asking the police officer how much it was going to take for him to be able to keep driving. These are things that, again, are so normal. There are, of course, places where bartering is really common, those cultures. If you bring that back to a country like this, where law and order is something very different, you might end up with some real problems on your hands. So again, it's that preventative piece. I, I consider my ministry prevention and restoration. So preventing, giving the information to MKs and especially to the parents raising them, giving them the in, uh, information they need so that we can avoid some, not all, some of the pitfalls inherent with not fully belonging in any place on the globe. All right. Um, and looking at, you know, prevention and restoration and whatnot, one of the, and I, I mean, you and I have interacted on this relatively recently, but looking at the relationship of uh, third culture kids and faith and third wow. culture kids and the church institutionally and personally, yeah. um, can you talk a little bit about yeah. that relationship? It's huge. It's a huge topic. I mean, first you throw transition at me, just, you know, as a casual thing. Yeah, just casually. Yeah, there's so much involved in, in this one. Um, the, actually, the losses play into the MK faith, and each MK is going to respond individually and differently. But there is a trend that I've seen of uh, MKs in their young years, before they can really comprehend what relationship with Jesus is, viewing the ministry as kind of the family industry. This is what we do. We save souls. We go to work every day, we print tracts, we host meals. This is the job we do. And when that is the perception MKs have of God, who then would be the CEO of the family industry, all of the hardship that might come along with being an MK easily gets blamed on him. Because God called my parents this is hard for me and I don't fit in and I don't want to be here. Even cases, I mean, abuse is as prevalent on the mission field as it is off the mission field. So MKs who experience abuse on the mission field will easily turn that around and say, well, if God hadn't put me here or if he had stepped in, then this wouldn't have happened. Or there's this notion that because my family is doing God's work, we're serving him, then we should somehow be protected uh, from what life throws at other people. So faith can be... Um, I wouldn't say damaged, but kind of misrepresented by this attitude. And, um, and the concept of faith being a job makes the MK subject to a lot of shoulds. 
Um, the shoulds are something that I speak on frequently with MKs who sometimes are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s who realize that they're still living under what I call the tyranny of shoulds. Because I am an MK, because I am the child of Christian workers involved in ministry, I should, and then there's this litany of I should always be happy, I should never complain, I should behave perfectly, I should know the Bible inside and out, I should be able to witness to people at age six, I should be able to pull myself out of the pit of despair from all the goodbyes I've just had to say and saying goodbye to grandpa and grandma at the end of every HMA, I should be able to pull myself out of that pit of despair because I am an MK, even if I'm 10 years old when I'm struggling with these things. So I do a lot of speaking on the topic of permissions we need to give MKs because God gives us permissions. The Bible is all about do-overs and the shoulds are not. The shoulds stay, say, if you did this, then you're done. Then you're, you're done, you're ruined. And the Bible is all about bring it to God, try again, let's do this together. So some of the permissions we need to give MKs on God's behalf so that they can see him less as as a tyrannical dictator and more as a father figure, uh, a caretaker, a nurturer, a lover of our souls. These permissions are things like permissions to fail. You fail. It's not okay to fail, but you know what? We'll try again. We'll do better. We'll, we'll grow in this. Permission to be kids. Permission to complain sometimes because we are kids. I was in, um, it was actually that same trip to Romania and I was at the dinner table with a family and they had just arrived maybe a month before. They had two boys. The oldest was, I believe, 10 or 11. And I asked him what his family was doing there. And he said, well, we're, we're here to tell people about Jesus and save souls. And I so clearly remember his father reaching across the table and grabbing his hand and saying, no, mom and dad are here to tell people about Jesus and save mm. souls. Your job is to be a kid. And mm. the freedom of that, the acceptance and love of that, um, which extends to permission to doubt, permission to you know wrestle through these things. If there are fewer shoulds, then MKs will feel okay going to faith figures in their lives, even their parents, and talking about what they're struggling with in their faith. Because they've experienced pain sometimes, not just the goodbyes, some MKs have been exposed to um, war and had to evacuate in the middle of the night, seen diseases ravage the land they love. Um, because there has been so much pain, they need to have a place to process it and to develop a theology of grief. But as long as the shoulds are telling them, don't cry, don't show that it's hard, believe in Jesus, regardless of what you're feeling, even if you're falling apart inside, because of those shoulds, they aren't able to develop a faith that is open and loving and sincere um, and, and separated from those easy statements we make to people who are suffering. Well, it was all in God's plan and God will never give you more than you can handle and all of these cliches that in adults of mature faith might be interpreted biblically to little ears who are just trying to take the next step into their day those those sounds like those sound like indictments of who God is and their heart for them and it's tricky as well when you're one of these people growing up you know again speaking from experience you have lived your parents' faith, you know, you've been surrounded by sermons and things. And so you think also that you are, um, you think you are a mature Christian. And so you think you are receiving, you know, translating this and understanding it in the right biblical context and you're not. 
Yeah. And because faith is such an intensely held aspect of the MK life and, and the missionary family, it's held so intensely. It's like a rubber band that's stretched so tight that if you let go, you're going to swing way to the opposite direction. If you are not allowed to question in a safe environment and discover Jesus in a safe environment devoid of the shoulds, when you finally let go, you're going to let go of everything. And I've seen MKs let go, not just of the faith in God, but of their family and of ministry and all of that, even relationships with their siblings, because they just can't do this tyrannical faith anymore. Mm-hmm. So if we can give them those permissions to process openly and not accuse them of being heretics when they do, they can find the Jesus that is at the core of the family industry. Um, right. And to do that, we need to be an empathetic and welcoming and uh, open to answering hard questions kind of people yeah so how you know how do we do that what are things that on you know a personal level if i'm a monocultural individual i've never you know and i've got someone who is a tck who's coming back to my church what do they need like how how can i help them personally um as compared to you know i would help my other monocultural friends Yeah. yeah first discard all expectations just discard them. If you see them coming back thinking that they're going to teach you and they're going to be, you know, the leaders of Bible studies and they're going to be uh, just happy all the time and whatever the expectation is of MKs coming off the field, discard them because each one is an individual person with an individual life history that they're carrying with them into a new place. And then the best thing I can, I can offer as advice is ask questions. Ask them, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about how do you feel about the war that's happening right now in Ukraine? Do you know anybody there? And, and ask follow-up questions. Because of our propensity to speak of the important things in our life with each other in a very open way, if we don't have people around us who still allow us, even though they might not have friends in Ukraine that can relate in the same way we can, um, if we have people around us who allow us to speak of those important things, it will go a long way, not only to building that relationship, um, but to making us feel like we have a place in our new location. Um, So yeah, I I think that would be my my highest priority in giving instructions to people who are welcoming MK's home is to keep asking them questions and then Mm -hmm. follow-up questions. The worst you can do, and I've had this happen to me, I know you've had it happen to you, is somebody say, oh, where are you from? And I'll say, well, I was born in France and lived in Germany. And they'll go, oh, great. And then, so how about them bowls? It's like, I just gave you a precious piece of my biography, of my autobiography, and you went, oh, cool. Um, And even if you're not interested, because honestly, you might be able not be able to relate to some of what has been meaningful to people like me and like Austin, um, ask follow-up questions anyway. Ask us how we feel about things. Um, That's really important because we have a lot of opinions, as everybody does, and our opinions are a little bit too complex to just throw into a conversation and move on. So be intentional about asking how we feel about something, how our our transition is going. What have been the challenges in your life this week? Is there anything in America that's taken you by surprise this week that you weren't prepared for? Questions like that really are helpful. Um, And if you see an MK standing kind of at the back of the room, just kind of scanning what's going on, don't assume that that's reticence to step in that might actually be them doing what we do, which is assess the new environment. And then when we figure out the dynamics and how it works, then we'll step into it. But invite them in if you see them standing in the corners, Mm -hmm. um, because we need community. We might not initially know how to do it really well with people who aren't like us, um, 
but I have been a witness to and I have myself experienced the the richness of multicultural to monocultural relationship. It is real, it can happen. It'll take some flexing and effort on both sides to find that happy spot in the middle. Um, but so many MKs just give up, like I'm never gonna, they're never gonna relate to me and I don't really get what it is to grow up in small town Illinois, um, but keep at it. Uh, we need to not be as intense going into the relationship. Our counterparts need to ask some um, more um, guiding, leading questions going into the relationship. And somewhere down the road, not as fast as we're used to, but somewhere down the road, there can be true, authentic, meaningful relationship. For sure. And what about on a more institutional level? What do churches especially and church leaders what can they do to help support missionaries and especially you know their kids as they're trying to adjust yeah um, i would actually start that before they they come back off the field when the missionaries travel and visit your church um, to make sure that the children are acknowledged and entered into conversation one of the traits mks have is that we're really good at conversing with older people with adults because a lot of us that's what we do <laughs> we're surrounded by adults growing up in community um, so really feeling them, letting them feel included in the conversations that are happening in the church so that when they come back there in the future, there are faces they recognize. They've had talks that um, indicate that true friendship could be possible with these people. And then when they come back, gently inviting them, gently opening the door for them to be socially available. Um, initially, if they're grieving, they might not want to enter too quickly into especially high intensity situations, parties, you know, banquets, whatever it might be, one-on-one -on -one might be the best way to begin if there are uh, pastors, if there are leaders in the church, it would be really valuable to the MK to spend one-on-one -on -one time with them. Um, because again, that is kind of our comfort zone is speaking to leaders in ministry, right? And if we if we feel that they are seeing us, then we can apply that to others. If the pastor sees me, then these other people who are in my peer group or just fellow followers of Jesus, maybe they will see me too. Maybe we can we can find belonging. Unbelonging or that sense that we don't belong anywhere is one of the biggest, uh, probably most intense traits that MKs carry. It can be a deficit. It can also be a huge blessing if we use it um, for the betterment of ourselves and the betterment of the environments that we're entering. Mm -hmm. For sure. So... You obviously, you said you, you grew up as an MK, you've had this TCK experience. What made you decide that you wanted to go into, you know, TCK care, MK care mm -hmm. as a profession of all things? Yeah. <laughs> I never expected that this would happen. Um, <laughs> I actually, I graduated from Black Forest Academy. So I went to school there before I taught there for 20 years. Um, and when I arrived there in ninth grade was the first time that I realized that there were other people like me. The term TCK was coined right around that time by Dave Pollock and Ruth Van Rieken. So we didn't even have a name for this group of people yet. But as I looked around the hallways and the classrooms at BFA, I realized, oh, that we have real similarities. Even though our backgrounds are all different, there are real similarities, not just in the way we make relationships, but in the way we view the world, et cetera. Um, and then I made the transition to college and I was so ill-prepared. I did what a lot of MKs still do, not all of them, a lot of them. And that is that we have heard so many negative news stories and reports from people who have been there about the US that we decide before we even go that we want nothing to do with the culture. I'm gonna put in my four years as you did. I'm gonna put in my four <laughs> years and then I'm gonna find the place I want to be. Um, so we don't apply all of our 
huge transitional cultural skills to this particular transition. If we were dropped into some remote tribe, we would. In our passport culture, we don't. I got to the States. I went to Wheaton College, hated every minute of my three and a half years there. I got out as fast as I could, just knock off that last semester, I'm done. <laughs> um, mostly because of what I brought to it, because mm -hmm. I thought, well, none of these people know what river runs through Paris, so what do I have in common with any of them? Um, <laughs> which is awful. It's so arrogant and judgmental. Um, it's something we do. It's something we do, and some of it is out of grief, and some of it is out of fear. If I don't try to fit in, I won't fail to fit in. And we're so scared of not being able to fit in that we, we decide not to try. Um, when back to BFA observed all of those students over those two decades there, became a mentor to some of them and started to understand that the totality of what I have experienced personally and then what I have learned from them um, needed to be something that had a bigger footprint in my life. Um, Real quick aside, in 2008, I was diagnosed with two forms of cancer, and I think that's what God used. He did not want me to have cancer. He did not choose me for the cancer. These are some of the things we say to people who are grieving, um, but he used the cancer that is endemic to living in a broken world in a broken body. He used it to make me consider if I just have one or two years left, how do I want to spend them? And that is the only way that you could have pried my fingernails out of German soil, out of a place I loved, out of, out of working with students I loved. Um, I just wanted to be part of, again, the preparation, the preventative piece, helping MKs themselves to understand themselves better and what drives them, helping their parents to understand so they can raise them appropriately and give them the permissions they need, helping organizations who send mom and dad but don't pay a whole lot of attention to the five kiddos going with them, giving information to all of those groups, which is why I love going to conferences. I'll be in Greece in a week and a half. Um, because the parents need to know for true change to happen. And then the restorative part is speaking with MKs who have in some way been broken by their experiences, who might be thriving in all areas of life, but there's this one piece that is still uncomfortable and painful to them, helping them to understand why it is that they feel that way and that it's normal that they feel that way and that there is a way forward. So let's sit together and explore this and figure out where it came from. Mm. And where do you see that? mission growing in the future where you know what are your uh -huh. dreams for that yeah um there's a lot of talk about expanding right in 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 these circles and um some of the foremost voices in mkk are saying we need to do tck stuff we need to expand it to and i believe i believe this to be true we need to expand it to military kids who get very little cultural training uh, especially for their repatriation um, and expand it to all of these other kids and honestly i'm trying not to expand i'm trying to mm -hmm. keep my focus on MKs, because the faith piece is what is most important to me, not most important, but most critical to me, because I've seen too many MKs releasing or rejecting their faith. And that is specific to growing up in ministry, not in politics, not in, you know, an NGO. Um, I actually want to keep deepening the, the understanding that people have of MKs specifically, because I feel like, um, the cost is eternal if we don't do it right, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I want these MKs not to come away from the experiences they've had and the sometimes inadvertent messaging they've received, believing that God only wants from them and doesn't have a heart for them. Mm. That makes that makes a huge difference. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, as our talk kind of draws to a close. Is there anything about MKs or TCKs or yourself that um, 
we haven't talked about yet that you think is an important one to be aware of just regarding the topic? I, I'll just give you one illustration that I often give to parents of MKs and missionary organizations who think that as adults, because they have cross-cultural experience, they get what it is to be an MK. So I, I don't believe that's actually entirely possible. And the illustration I give is this. If you take two jars of red beads and blue beads, one jar each, and you pour the blue beads into the red beads and shake it up really hard, you'll still be able, at, when you're done, to pick out the blue and the red to figure out what belongs in which jar. That is what it is to be an adult who has been raised in one culture and moves to another culture. You are adding color to your life, but it isn't enmeshed. You can still, even after 40 years, although it gets a little vaguer with time, you can still figure out what belongs in which category. Growing up, cross-culturally growing up kind of steeped in all of these different uh, cultures is more like two balls of play-doh red and blue play-doh and you mash them together and it turns into purple play-doh that is the experience of the mk so people who view life and culture from the red and blue bead perspective think that their kids are viewing it the same way their kids are this beautiful complex rich shade of individual purple each one is different and it's going to take some time to kind of untangle that and figure out what makes up their purple the fabulous, which is undeniable, and the challenging, which is usually also there somewhere. And it will take people who understand purple to be able to help them with that, which is why, shameless plug, <laughs> I have a podcast called Pondering Purple that helps to explain some of these little aspects of these, these little balls of Play-Doh that uh, people who are blue bead, red bead, uh, people won't necessarily understand on a gut level. Mm -hmm. What's some of the more what is one of the most ex encouraging experiences you've had recently because you know you were saying that you like to focus a lot when you're talking with mks and the parents of mks on some of these really rough challenging aspects so what has been encouraging to you lately as you minister in such a hard area yeah i think it's it's the number of adult and more mature mks who are now turning their attention to the next generation it's those who have been through the hard times, figured out who they are, who God is, what life is meant to be for them. And with um, certainty about the answers they found, being able to turn and help the younger MKs. I was just at a conference for Compass Ministries in Georgia, and the age range of attendees was, I think, 17 to 60-something. So mm, we had, wow. we had a, <laughs> yeah, try speaking about intense topics to that age range. Right. Um, <laughs> but to watch them caring for each other and sharing from their own well of wisdom with these younger MKs and understanding the need for it rather than just walking away from the confusing, really entering into the confusing, that's been beautiful to me. Just the opening, not only of, of older MKs, of their minds to the intricacies of what it is to be an MK, but even of families and of mission organizations wanting to know more, that is where prevention can actually happen. Mm -hmm, for sure. I like to kind of end discussions like these with some more upbeat, lighthearted questions. Um, yeah. So, well, I mean, we'll, we'll start simple. Have you read any interesting books lately? What's, what's your reading life been like lately? <laughs> I, I wish I could say I have. I write books for Pete's sake. Right. I have five novels published and there I don't know. read books. I just don't. I don't have the time for it. Um, what have I read recently? Well, I'll or, tell you or actually, you can even just say... Uh, what are you writing? Are you in process of writing another book right now? No, again. Because <laughs> oh, man. I was so sure. I was so sure that the pandemic would give me the life margins that I needed to be able to write. Uh -huh. um, 
And then the pandemic started hitting the missionary community and the needs yeah. increased exponentially. I will tell you the name of a book. I actually, in my entryway right behind me, I have a drawer full of this book and I hand it out to anybody who comes to my house because I think it's so important. It's called With by Sky Jatani, J-E-T-H-A-N-I. And Sky okay. has a new one, S-K-Y-E. Um, and it goes through the uh, postures about faith that we have mistakenly kind of uh, rolled into what faith is supposed to be. And it ends with the message that faith is about being with God. He created us to be with him. And we have so many different postures that aren't absolutely biblical um, that we are founding our understanding of faith and God on. So any MKs, any adults in America, anybody anywhere who hasn't, who has this, this blurred vision of what faith ought to be because of all the contrary messaging that we receive, this book is easy to read. I mean, I would say from ages 14, 15 up. It's totally appropriate for mature adults who have been in the faith for 40 years and I think is just critical to understanding what it was meant to be. Well, thanks for that recommendation. I'll definitely uh, look that up. I'll send you one. Send oh, me, there you send go. Me your address. <laughs> um, and this is one of my favorite questions to ask. Um, and I ask anyone who's been involved in missions and ministry this because there's always such a wide variety of fun answers. But, and you know this intimately, but um, everyone who grew up as a missionary kid has been asked some stupid question about the country they grew up in. I yes. can't be, you know, growing up in East Africa, uh, you know, did you ride an elephant to school? Did you have power yes. at home? Yes. Um, yes. Did you ever experience any of those in France? And what were some of those? <laughs> I have I have one example to give you. Um, I was still living in France with my parents and actually a Wheaton College choir came to visit us and we were hosting two of the choir members, two guys in our home that night. So we're driving back to small town. I lived in a village of 400 farmers, so very small village. And to get to the village, we drove over a hill down this very windy road with forests on both sides. And my dad jokingly, but kind of deadpan said to these two American boys, um, you know, if you look really carefully, when we turn the corner, you might see from my headlights, you might see the eyes of tigers and lions staring back at us. We're talking France, right? Oh my goodness. Look really carefully. <laughs> and I just kind of giggled quietly and we kept going and we came out of the woods and one of them said, I didn't see any eyes. Did you see any eyes? And they thought, <laughs> they thought that in France, in Alsace, France, which is on the border of Germany and Switzerland, that we had um, lions and tigers. Oh my goodness. Bless their hearts. Bless <laughs> their hearts. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for sharing your time, your energy, your insight with us today. This is such a blessing uh, to me and to our community. So thank you. Entirely, entirely my pleasure. And and I just need to say the podcast is Pondering Purple. My website, michellephoenix.com, has all kinds of resources on it regarding MKs. So, and I'm happy to answer any questions that anybody has who contacts me. Thank you for joining Michelle and I today on Amplify. If you'd be interested in leaving us a like, subscribing to our podcast, or even leaving a review, that would go a long way to helping us keep providing stories and connections like this. Amplify is a ministry of Friendship Christian Reformed Church in Byron Center, Michigan. To help support our podcast and further amplify the stories of people in ministry, visit us online at friendshipcrc.org and select Give Online from the Get Connected box. To hear more from our lovely guest Michelle, give her a visit on her website michellephoenix.com or listen to her podcast Pondering Purple. The music for this episode was provided by bensound.com. This episode was written, directed, and edited by Austin Slater.